Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast, Episode 3. My name is Ryan Sir. With me, as always, is my co-host, Don Helbig. How you doing, Don? I'm doing good. Uh, Ryan, looks like uh, you were kind of like Johnny Cash over the last couple of weeks. You were everywhere. Yeah, some of you might have wondered why Episode 3 didn't come out last week, and it's because I went on a bit of an excursion. And where did you go? Uh, as pertaining to this this uh, particular program here, I went to several parks, uh, some of the best in the nation, I might say. So uh, stop one was uh, up at Cedar Point, America's Rock and Roller Coast. Um, had a great time there. Um, you know, fortunately, it was it was so hot here leading up to it that when we got there, it was one of those random Sandusky seventy two degree days. So that was that was really fun. Uh, day two was a little warmer, but that was an excuse to hang out in Soak City, which I think their Soak City, I'm sorry, Cedar Point Shores, I'm a couple years behind the times, but uh, their water park is kind of underrated. I think it's really fun and unique. Uh, from there, we uh, drove down to Columbus and flew to Washington, D.C., and from D.C., we drove to Doswell, where we did um, King's Dominion. Uh, so we did an evening at King's Dominion, then drove a little bit further down to Williamsburg, did two days at Bush Gardens Williamsburg, came back up to uh, King's Dominion for a day and a half, and then ended by going to uh, D.C. and walking the National Mall before flying back. I'd actually never been to D.C. before, so that was a really cool experience, too. Yeah, it is a cool experience when you go there, and when you're, you know, you're visiting King's Dominion, I mean, on the roads, so you might as well do it, right? Yeah, I, I, everyone always told me that King's Dominion and Bush Gardens were so close to each other, but I thought that was an exaggeration, but it's not. They're about 50 minutes from each other without traffic. Uh, it was incredible. So if you visit one, you got to do the other. They're both great parks. Now, while you're at King's Dominion, obviously, you got to see one of my favorite attractions, the Singing Mushrooms. How are they? The Singing Mushrooms are doing well. They said hi. Um, so, uh, that, that's cool that they brought back the nostalgia with that. That's, that's really neat. Uh, they're adorable and nobody, you, the singing mushrooms are like, it, it's like a carousel or a band organ. Like you can't help but smile. If not, you're crazy. But, uh, yeah. So, but the cool part was, uh, at all three parks we went to, we got to experience their summer festival celebration. So, uh, at Cedar Point, it was a little a little unique because they were coming off of the Frontier Fest where they had like a late night thing at the, so that was 21 and over at the Frontier part of town. Um, but they were doing all the rehearsals for their summer fest where they had their huge stage show on the Luminosity st Celebration stage, I think they call it now. Um, but the cast was probably somewhere between 50 and 80. Um, their 150th celebration was really cool. And I think that this is kind of a, you know, a mark off of that. Uh, but so we got to see that and part of the parade, which was really, really neat. Um, so then uh, after that, you know, we went to, uh, you know, King's Dominion didn't have anything going on at first, but we went to Bush Gardens where they had their Summerfest, where uh, their Summerfest is mainly about like food and stuff. And they had these special donuts that were really, really cool. Like we, we bought a bunch of them. Uh, our favorite was a strawberry shortcake donut, which was really good. Um, but Bush Gardens being a, uh, you know, a year round park, essentially they're open weekends during the, the really, really soft time of year. Um, you know, they got something going on almost at all times, but then we went back to King's Dominion. King's Dominion had one of my favorite celebrations, Grand Carnival. Uh, and it was really cool to see that at a different park. Um, it was really nostalgic almost because uh, you know, obviously, you know, Kings Island, the park I hang out at most isn't doing it this year because they're a little busy with the 50th stuff. But, uh, you know, their their take on the parade was really cool. Their take on the show was really cool. Um, it seemed to go over really, really well. You know, there were people packed along uh, the lines to um, to see the parade. So, I don't know, Don. So, uh, you know, we, we were talking about this and how it was all about special events. So, we decided that tonight, today's podcast is going to be involving special events and how to drive revenue and per capita through them. So right off the right, bat. Let me time, ask you about the, uh, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you about the, the parts you went to with the special events as you bring that up. Uh, was this something you were aware of was happening before you went there? Was it part of your planning because you knew it was there that you wanted to see these events or it just happened to be you're in the park and this is happening? So it's a mixture of yes and no. Um, the, the reason why we went to, Cedar Point was because friends of ours went and we went kind of in conjunction with them. But I will tell you that one of the deal breakers for going out east to Virginia was 
we wanted to see Carnival at King's Dominion. So yeah, it as far as like what set us over the edge, because we looked at like going to Knott's Berry Farm or somewhere in Michigan or something like that. We knew we were going to do a second part of the trip, but when we when we saw we would have the opportunity to do Grand Carnival, that that was a sales point for us. Okay, now you talked about Cedar Point, they're not necessarily, but did you look at that as kind of like added value for your trip? Be able to see that. So one of the things that I always thought was really cool about these special events, uh, especially the ones that top off the night, is it gives you something to um, to look forward to throughout the day. So for me, it's, um, you know, it's like, well, for example, like the, the parade at Grand Carnival, uh, Dominion is up until nine this year. The parade's at 830. So, you know, you've got that to look forward to to top off your night is to do the 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 parade and the grand uh, closing ceremony, or they, they had a name for it. I don't remember if Kings Island used it or not. But um, yeah, I think it was definitely an added value to it. it. It gave you something to look forward to all day. So even if, you know, lines were long and it was hot and stuff, you had something something to kind of look forward to when the sun went down. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, that's obviously, you know, you've, you've had your... Um, and in a couple of special events here and there throughout the times. Um, so let me ask you this. There are a lot of special events that are very, very successful. There are a lot of special events that are not very successful, that they go between a little does a lot and a big waste of money. And there's everywhere in between. So what do you always have to keep in mind to, when, you, when you're planning special events to really get the attention of guests? Like, like, like when they wouldn't visit otherwise, like, what do you, what do you do? Like, what's the jumping off point with that? Well, I think you have to determine the goals, you know, what you're trying to accomplish with that event. Uh, you know, who's going to be the market that's you know, going to be bringing, you know, guests that normally wouldn't come to your park, uh, you know, during that period. Uh, you know, what's your budget for the event? You know, you'll see different things, uh, you know, in different chats online or on social where they should have done this, they should have done that no matter what park you go to there's those kind of comments about events but it's not a bottomless pit uh everybody's got a budget so you know your budget determines what you can do and to what extent uh you need to brand the event you have to have a name out you know it's going to catch attention uh, with everybody so that's your starting point when you're looking at an event is uh, how are you going to make it stand out uh what's your goal what are you trying to accomplish you know with it is it an awareness play is it to drive attendance uh, there's all different things everybody's going to have a different kpi there what they're looking to do when they do these events yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so do you think that there, uh, you know, in that instance, there's a certain advantage to like pigeonholing your event? Like, for example, Grand Carnival is a celebration of different cultures from around the world. And, you know, the name, although it was come up by, you know, a marketing team, it actually means something. Um, do you think that that has an advantage over having just a summer fest when you do various activities celebrating the summer uh, because you can brand it your own way? Yeah, I think when you brand it your own way, you make it your own, you know, kind of a thing. It's not just, you know, different festivals, different, like whether it's a beer festival, uh, food and wine tasting, but those happen all over the place. So you have to make your stand out. You have to make it uh, your own, uh, make it different. So uh, everyone's going to want to come to your event and not just the one that's happening down the road. So, Don, it seems like with all these special events, there's always some sort of uh, focal point uh, to look forward to. Um, you know, it's... Yeah, Cedar Point it was for the 150th, especially was the parade and then the show, and then King's Island's 50th is the fun fireworks and 50 at the end of the night. Uh, Bush Gardens had weekend fireworks, which they you know was really exciting, um, and then Grand Carnival obviously is the parade. Um, would you say that having some sort of focal point, like something in particular that's unique to the event, is is important when it comes to uh, designing an event and marketing the event? Yeah, I mean, you want to have that clear idea what the goal of the event is, uh, you know, know who's going to be interested in attending, you know, who the target audience is. But after all that, you still have to have that one key takeaway. Uh, you know, you have to know what that's going to be. So when your guests leave at the end of the night, there's that one thing that is just memorable for them. So, yeah, the key takeaway, it's very important to have that uh, in mind when you're creating an event. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, what... When you're deciding the theme of an event, what are some of the components that you look at? I mean, is it basically everybody sits down and comes up with uh, various ideas and then you vote on it? Or is there more to it than that? Or how does that, how does that work? 
well, every park is going to be a little bit different in how they're structured and, you know, who has implement in that. Sometimes it comes from a corporate entertainment team. Sometimes it's the, the, the local park level where you're working on those kind of things. Everybody's going to be a little bit uh, different in that. But, uh, you know, the key components that you, you have to have in there, again, you have to have that goal. What are you trying to accomplish here? You know, um, how long is the run going to be? You know, how are you going to create urgency uh, for that event? Uh, how are you going to attract an audience? Typically, it doesn't come to your park. You know, maybe they're not a fan of roller coasters and water parks and uh, so you have to have something different to get them to come to your park. So those are all things you have to talk about. And then it comes down to that branding, the name, and uh, just executing after that point, after all the details have been finalized. Yeah, and, and um, one thing that, that I always kind of noticed is that with special events, you know, sans your beer festivals and stuff, um, they parks in general have done a really good job of, like, you know, you got fireworks for the, the teens and above. you got a scavenger hunt for the kids. You've got entertainment for, for everybody. So, uh, you know, taking a multi-pronged approach when it comes to like a family-oriented events uh, is, is really a good thing to have in mind. And then when you're, you're coming up with your theme, uh, that's, that's a good thing to remember as well because, you know, that you can kind of build around that in some instances. So, um, yeah, I mean, you want to have something like that because you've got, you know, like some families, you know, maybe they've got younger kids. It's a wine, food and wine tasting yeah. kind of an event. Well, that's not for the kids. So you have to have something to keep them interested as well if they're going to come with with the adults and parents yeah i mean you could do a wine scavenger hunt but i don't think the the kids could pronounce pinot or you know <laughs> any of those um so when when you're when you're designing an event when you're developing an event um what are some of the components that are important to to making the event successful so we, we discussed that you know you come up with a theme that you think would be intriguing to you know whatever demographic you're looking at let's say you come up with an event and it's going to be let's say like a motorcycle themed event. So like, you know, dads love motorcycles generally, kids all love motorcycles. So where do you go from there? It's June 1st and the event's gonna be the end of July. So you have enough time to really push it out. So let's talk about like marketing, PR, advertising, internal signage and so on. Like, like just generally off the top of your head, build a marketing plan for it. Not to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> no, I think you have to do it like you would if you were opening a new ride, a new water park attraction, a new restaurant, a new live stage show. You have to take that same kind of an approach. And as a park team, you know, with all the different uh, departments, kind of uh, take the approach that if this is the only thing we were doing this year, how would we go about it? So it's the same approach that you use for those other things with new ride launches. Uh, it's just a shorter term event. Uh, you do want to get in front of it a little bit. If it's a returning event, you know, you can do it within like 30, 45 days out because uh, guests are familiar with that. But if it's a brand new event, you really want to be about 90 days in front of it to let everybody know what you're doing. Uh, you have to make sure uh, when you're talking about these different events that you're going to be able to have a, a team on your entertainment side uh, with the decor and everything to create an atmosphere that represents uh, the theme. You know, if you're going to have Mardi Gras, you can't have it, uh, you know, just nothing else around it you know you just have something going on in the streets you have to have the buildings decorated you have to have the fencing all those other kind of things uh to kind of fit in with the atmosphere to create uh you know so the event it takes you in a different world really when you're doing those events yeah so you're what, what you're basically saying is that you know part of the run into it is um you know an immersive experience you know if you were going to do a motorcycle event it would be cool to have motorcycle decor not just cool but it would be almost critical in a lot of cases you know, especially if you want to make it something memorable and hopefully repeatable in the future. Uh, would you say that that uh, having a successful event kind of in the back of your mind is to have a repeatableness to it? Like, you know, you have you had Carnival for what was supposed to be two years in a row. Uh, obviously, a lot of money goes into development. So when you do these events, do you have that in mind sometimes? You do. You do want it to be more than a, a one and done type of a thing. There's a big investment. Uh from the decor to costumes to developing any kind of shows, uh, the menus or food items. Uh, there's a lot involved. So you definitely do want to plan uh, that it's going to be around, you know, for the long run, not just something that's one and done. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's funny because you keep on bringing up these points and then it's triggering things in my head. And it, hopefully if you're listening at home, it's triggering it for you because you mentioned food. So that's another aspect of, of the park that can be involved. You know, it's... Um, you know, it's a Grand Carnival has, it's a parade and it's, and it's a stage show, but it's a food thing too. 
you know, it's food from around the world. And, you know, for the 50th stuff at King's Island, it's, it's you know, the flight commander fries and so on. Bush Gardens had the, uh, the, uh, the donuts that were, you know, all kind of summer bright color related. So uh, do you think that food is creeping its way into being part? I mean, obviously, like, food has been kind of a staple for events for a while. But do you think that, you know, broadly speaking, from a macro standpoint, food is becoming part of an attraction that's almost indispensable? Very much so. I think you're getting to that point now when you go to different parks. You're remembering that burger you had at a certain location or, you know, the, um, the chicken tenders, whatever it is, you know, the food item that uh, it's as memorable as one of the rides that you rode when you go home and, and you just remember that. And when you come back the next time to the park, you want to try that again. You already have it um, earmarked where you're going to go. Uh, during those events and that what you know what's going to be your, your food of choice for those events so yeah it's very much becoming a part of the overall experience not only for special events but uh, just visiting a park every day but you know you talk about all these different components and things and why you do it you know a lot of these parks i mean it's a mature industry now i mean a lot of these parks have been around 35 40 50 70 you know plus years 100 years uh, with someone like cedar point um you know you want to have it a situation where when you have these two three week month-long runs with these special events it's an opportunity for guests to see the park like in a, in a way that they haven't before uh you know so they give them a reason to come you know they, they might have come in may and rode their favorite rides they'll come back in august and ride their favorite rides and that was what they were planning to do but if you dump something in between uh, with a special event uh you know they got to come back and try it yeah I, I agree and then they want again the next year you know so they it's, it becomes like a like a wintertime event it just becomes that thing that you plan that you're going to go experience this event at that park because you went there you had a great time and you can't wait to do it again the next year how do you determine the length of an event well you know you have a different things that are going on in the season you know uh, depending on if you're a year-round park or, or your seasonal you're pretty much memorial day labor day is kind of your, your key point uh, you, you want to schedule the time, obviously, when, you know, the kids are out of school and all the families can make their trips there uh, from within two, three hours away, four hours away, um, based on where you are. But, uh, yeah, so middle of the summer, you kind of want to do it, uh, you know, end of middle of June, end of July, somewhere in that range is usually the, the optimal time to do events. Yeah. So but this is another thing that kind of uh, has popped in my head, especially this year, because this has been a really good year for events. Um, and let me use, uh, and I'm not picking on anybody here, but let me use the example of Holiday World, okay? So they've got a drone show uh, most of the summer this year. You know, and I've seen, obviously, Kings Island's done a drone show, and I've seen the one at Dollywood, bo both of which are amazing. And I'm sure that the uh, Holiday World one is as well. I haven't seen it yet. So how do you manage the expectations where if you do a drone show for three or four weeks, let's say core summer, and then you don't do it next year, you do something else how do you manage it as far as like because you've always got to do better every year it seems like like how, how do you manage that i mean do you treat each year you uniquely or that, you know if it's not going to be the same exact kind of show you have to have something that at least uh, you know rivals it in a different way uh, so just always have something going on and if it isn't going to be a nighttime show maybe it's something that takes place in the middle of the day um, but just uh, you always want to have something that's that's going to you know, be a reason to come other than just the normal days. You, know, you talked about the timeline too. If you're opening a brand new roller coaster and you uh, daily operations around Memorial Day, you don't want to start the first week of June with a special event typically because you're still going to be having, still going to be coming uh, to, primarily to ride that new attraction that you have. Um, so you want to move it a little bit later in the year. So that plays a role too, Ryan. It's not always, you know, it's a staple. You have to do it these same weeks every year. What else do you have going on? You know, what's happening early in the season? And what's going to after Labor Day? So you want to kind of plan around that as well, too. But that's why sometimes you're not always going to see the same week run every single year. Yeah, I mean uh, that's uh, that's always one thing that kind of scared me is that if you if you can't do the same event every year, uh, especially if it's a big an anniversary year or whatever, you know, for year 152, 153, when it was like, yeah, that's cool, but. You know, they had this cool parade a few years ago that they're not doing anymore. Like, I, I've always been afraid that the gain for this year would, would take away from the, the next year's. But I guess, you know, memory is so short-term now that it's on to the next thing. You know, you're opening the next roller coaster, the yeah. next food item, the next restaurant, yeah, you know. it's, you know, like I talk about middle of the day, maybe it's a new, you know, sun show. It's something like that that takes place, 
you know, it's, maybe it's not the closer at the end of the night, but it's going on somewhere else. So uh, you just have to do it in a different way if you're not going to bring back the same exact kind of an event. Just do it differently, but do it well. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, my next question that I had prepped for you, which you seem to like really beat up with a lot of really good information answering my other questions was, you know, when you're developing a marketing plan, you, you mentioned a lot about, you know, picking your demographics, deciding uh, what you want to do with it. The time on the calendar is important. The, uh, you know, the fear of missing out, the eminence uh, dates are important. Is there anything else you want to add that's uh, really key to having successful special events? Is there anything else in mind? Well, you just have to have everybody aligned in your, your uh, you know, your park, everybody on the same page, everybody ready to go when you hit that date when the event begins. So how critical is public relations when it comes to special events? You know, it's very important. It's a, a key component uh, in all of your marketing efforts for it. Uh, you got to keep that top of mind awareness, especially when you have an event that's, you know, two, three week run. Uh, you, you can't have any missed opportunities. You have to get in front of it. If it's a brand new event coming, you want to start talking about that maybe 90 days out, 65 days out. If it's a returning event within 30 days out, you want to make sure that uh, if it's a stunt show, you bring the media out and, and let them uh, interview the performers, you know, those kind of things. Um, if it's a, a, you know, based around food, you know, have them come out, talk to your, your chefs, and uh, do food tasting with them. Uh, if it's a nighttime show or parade, you know, invite the media out, give them like an area where they can watch it themselves, you know, without, uh, you know, being part of the big crowd, but just give a nice space dedicated to them, a VIP area, maybe you can call it uh, for them. But you have to um, make sure that the, the media knows. Also, there's so many different components of this that, uh, you know, works for the media that allows them to really tell a story. You know, not just so much that you're doing this on these dates, but the story behind it, you know, and, and why. I guess we're going to come out and experience that event. So it's very, very important about it uh, whenever you're doing a special event, uh, the PR end. Yeah, yeah. And and one of those things that's kind of, uh, that I've kind of noticed as far as, you know, being a, a student of PR for the past, like, you know, 20 or so years, especially in the industry, is that a, a good PR person can get, you know, three or four cameras out there uh, to, you know, cover your parade or your stage show. A great PR person can get them to do a story on a performer whose mother was also a performer or two twins that are in a show or anything like that, you know? Uh, you know, one thing that I've noticed, uh, that, like, with the special events, you know, it, it, you can't downplay the PR at all. You need to have just, you know, every camera, every newspaper, every magazine, every gas pump, just everybody out there uh, just covering this stuff because, again, it's for two weeks. So, you you know, you can't, you can't miss it. You know, it's almost a disservice to the people who want, who would want to see it that don't know about it. Yeah, exactly. And you have to, um, as, as a PR person, it's not a pitch about the event. It's telling the stories about the event, why, it, you know, why it's important, uh, you know, for their TV audience or their you know, readership, why they need to, to know about this event. So you have to do it from that angle too, and talk about, uh, you know, what makes it uh, relevant. So it does get that, uh, you know, the media is coming out to cover it for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to, you know, we're going to do a whole podcast on, you know, PR in today's world. But one thing that you and Mefford and, you know, all the PR people that I know have always taught me is it's all about finding the story in it. Uh, because, you know, you've mentioned that as a digital content provider, you're a storyteller. So is a journalist, you know, so you're kind of like a journalist for your own company. But, you know, when you've got Channel 5 or whomever, your Channel 32, whoever, you know, we're, obviously we're not just a Cincinnati podcast, but they, the fact that, you know, there's a parade is a story, but the fact that the parade started last week is not. But the fact that Sally's in the parade for the 50th and her mother was in the parade for the 25th, now that's a story. And then you got two for one right there. You know, you got to do your homework exactly. on it. You do, but I mean, like I said, there's, it's just like a new ride uh, when you're doing PR. There's the pre-launch, there's the launch, and then there's the uh, sustain. So you have to sustain uh, the awareness for that event. You just can't, uh, you know, say an event just started onto the next thing. You got to keep it going. You got to keep finding ways. There's always, there's always going to be a story out there somewhere, like you talked about with a performer, maybe there's certain food items. Uh, you know, behind the scenes of getting you know set up for a parade, that's a great visual. Is always showing what it takes to get uh, the parade ready to go. You know, 
those kind of things. But in addition to PR too, you also have to look at your your social media approach, especially the paid side. You have to target you know certain audience, use that kind of appeal to it, make sure that that's part of your target audience when you're doing paid social as well. Your organic side, those guests, uh, you know, they've been hearing about it for a long time. You know, they're going to know. So you have to get outside of your your neighborhood uh, with the paid efforts as well. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I always thought was intriguing was that special events such as like Christmas events in particular. Uh, you see a lot of uh, Holiday in the Park, Winterfest, and so on logos on people's shirts and sweatshirts and stuff. Um, do you see short-term events as a good opportunity to drive per capita spending? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, guests become immersed in the experience, and they want to take a part of it home with them. What better than a piece of merchandise, whether it's a t-shirt, a hat, uh, you know, bracelet, necklace, any of those kind of things, uh, lapel pins. You know, so there's always that opportunity. They want to take a piece of that home with them. Yeah, and I guess it kind of translates over, too. You can buy the shirt now, but if you come in two weeks, you may not be able to. Correct. Yeah, so what would you say are some of the critical components for if, if you have a person that's responsible for, uh, or part of the responsibilities for in-park per capita spending and they're concerned about special events, what are, what are some of the components that they can focus on in order to drive up per capita spending, uh, for, generally speaking, for special events? Well, you know, you're trying to drive the urgency to come, you know, for it, uh, you know, that it's different than anything else you're going to experience uh, this summer, you know, this winter, this fall, you know, in the fall, whatever it is. Uh, so you want to drive that that urgency to get uh, guests who normally would not have planned to visit to come. That's the best way to do it. And then have different things around the park, whether it's the food, the merchandise, uh, even games, you know, just different ways like that, that uh, it's just not there during the normal operating days when there's not that event going on. Yeah, we're going to have to do a podcast with somebody who's on the merchandise side uh, at some chain to talk about how you design shirts and clothing and hats and gloves and, and you know, that will actually sell, like how you make that determination. I think that would be a really cool subject matter. Um, well, the one thing with events, though, that really helps though, you know, drive up that, that uh, in-park spending is that it's a limited time. You know, so you only have that short window to go. You only have that short window to try those foods, that short window to get that that, that short window to play those games. Okay. And, um, you know, I, something that kind of popped in mind for those who are not uh, very industry adjacent, when we're talking about per capita spending as a general factor, and per capita spending is spending within the park that does not include admission. So we're talking about when you buy food, T-shirts, merchandise, uh upcharge attractions, just anything sans probably parking and definitely admission. So what, what as per capita spending as a factor is if there's a hundred people in the park and a thousand dollars is spent, you know, you divide the two and you know, that's how you get your per capita number. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. So uh, that's a big thing coming up, you know, special events. I, I really do feel that that's, uh, you know, over the next, you know, Several years, that's going to be the trend in the industry. I think you're going to see a big slowdown of, uh, you know, the new 20, 30, 40 million dollar rides. I mean, they'll still be out there, but not like they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, right now, it's all about, uh, you know, experiences. That's what that's what guests want, different experiences. And that's a perfect fit for these special events because it's giving guests exactly what they're asking for. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about special events in terms of two week stuff. What about the repeating stuff? What about your your uh, Halloween and your Christmas and stuff like that? Uh, that stuff is cyclical. It's very predictable. Often the stuff is upgraded over the years, but it's um it's very similar to if not identical from one year to the next. How do you keep that fresh? You know, you do have to change the uh, track shows and things around a little bit with that, but it's also you know it's a short enough run uh, that for a lot of guests in those windows, you're talking more weekend operation. Uh, it's not uh, where you're coming, you know, any day of the week for it. So I think that helps, you know, as well to, to keep it, you know, something that's, a, um, you know, becomes a tradition for families to go to the Halloween. It becomes a tradition to go to the winter event. Um, so that's that's why you can continue to roll out pretty much the same thing every year. It's, it's really the tradition that you're building upon. What would you say that there's anything a, a park could do that would influence it becoming a family tradition and not a one and done? Well, I think they, they just have a great time, you know, when they go to these different events uh, and it just becomes that thing that you do. It's almost, you know, in the summer, it works the same way, kind of a thing where, you know, you started going there as a child, you know, your your parents took you there, it's there, and then they're taking their kids there. It's just one of those kind of things. But, 
it separates itself from the other times of the year when doing those events and with Halloween, with uh, the winter events. Uh, but it may not be that thing because of, you know, the operating calendars a lot shorter. So you're going to, you know, it's an urgency there. You have to do it within four to six weeks or you miss out on it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's funny because uh, you and I have a mutual friend named Bill Balfour who used to be head of entertainment for Paramount Parks when they were a thing. And I remember he's loaded with good advice. We'll have to have him on for some reason at some point. But uh, he he told me that, I don't know, remember how this came up, but he said the second half of July is uh, to the end of daily operations is always so busy for theme parks because in his belief, it was like, you know, you get to that point and it's like, oh, we haven't visited there. The school starts in three weeks. We better go. So, you know, when you, when it comes to, you know, May, June, you know, oh, we've got all summer or whatever. And then, you know, the end of the barrel seems to be <laughs> kind of hitting you and you start doing that. So it's almost like uh, you, you kind of mentioned this summer almost is its own event, you know, and I, I guess that's where like Bush Gardens Summerfest or Summer Fair or whatever they're calling it kind of comes into play. Use an excuse to get it in front of people because, you know, you have all summer on June 1st. You don't have all summer on July 30th, though. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it slips way fast and schools seem to start earlier every year, mid-August. Uh, so you do start to run out of time. But yeah, once you get past the 4th of July, clock's ticking on how much time you have left before you get to Labor Day and then parks start to think to their fall events. Do you think that's a marketing opportunity? Get to the park before it's too late? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely want to, uh, you know, put out those messages that there's only X number of days left, you know, to visit this summer or, you know, um, last chance, you know, or last splash of summer, those kind of different things is, uh, you know, something that you, you as a marketing uh, team, you definitely want to create that urgency uh, to drive that attendance the second half of the summer. Oh, that's cool. So uh, personal question. So with the exception of events that you've been involved with, and you've been involved with some really special events that Robbie Knievel and Walinda's and, you know, your own Grand Carnival, What's your favorite theme park event lifetime that you've been to that you did not have an involvement with whatsoever that you just visited that and enjoyed it? An, that I did not have an involvement with. Mm -hmm. I would probably have to say uh, the Christmas event at, at Magic Kingdom oh. uh, was one of my first, um, you know, winter events that I went to uh, before working in the industry. Um, so it, uh, you know. I, I just like the way that was created there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every, everything Disney does in general is the it's that's the ten bar. You know, there that's the that's now, the race big bar. Part of that. <laughs> now, big part of that for me was my daughter was you know six, seven, eight years old at the time. Yeah. You know, so the perfect age. So that was a big part of why that was a favorite for me. Just you know the, the enjoyment and you know the excitement, everything that she had. Uh, to see these characters, you know, dressed up for, you know, the holidays and things like that. So, um, but that one kind of stands out because of the, you know, just the connection with, you know, with going with, with, with my family and, and, and just seeing how, uh, you know, she enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, kind of, uh, visiting a park or, you know, doing anything like that with somebody for their first time is like kind of seeing it through their eyes. I think there's something special about that. And that probably plays back into the whole family tradition thing. You know, once little Billy turns four and he's old enough to start riding rides, I mean, you've ridden, you know, the little wood coaster a million times, but to ride with him for the first time is like riding it for the first time yourself in a lot of cases. Yeah, but a lot of places, you know, back when I had, uh, you know, season passed, uh, you know, Kings Island and some other, uh, you know, parks around the country, and I was traveling around, you ended in the fall. You know, middle of October, early October, you were done. There wasn't the holiday events. There wasn't the uh, the Halloween events. You know, it was just normal operation, you know, into September and early October, and you were done. So you didn't really have that when I was uh, uh, growing up and, and going to theme parks all over the place. And it really didn't, you know, really start to take off until around. Uh, you know, you had the Winter Fest with, you know, Kings Island starting in the 80s and that, but there still wasn't a lot of that uh, up until around 2000. And, Parks started really getting into the Halloween season, and then kind of went yeah. I think Kings Island's first forte in Halloween was two thousand, right, with Fear Fest, or did they do something right. Right. something fallish in between back in the Winterfest days, the original Winterfest days? That's pretty much it. You know, that was the the branding of an event would have been uh, 
you know, 2000 with Beer Fest. But then, you know, you start, you know, Universal always did their thing. Uh, Knott's always did their thing, you know, uh, with, with Halloween Haunt up there. But it wasn't, you know, everywhere. Everybody wasn't doing it. So uh, it was more, you know, isolated a number of parks that had those, those fall and those winter events up until, you know, about 20, 20 years ago. So why do you think that the trend is leaning towards uh, special events rather than large rides? Because that's the the well, what you're saying is indisputable right now. Back in 2000 through 2005 or so, the, quite the opposite was true. What, what do you think's changed? I think what's changed is the industry has matured. You know, like I guess we talked about earlier, the parks are you know they're older, they're 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 plus years old now. You know, so you need some different experiences. You need to give. Uh, know people a different reason to come uh you know sure they'll go that one or two times you know to, to do what they always did but you, you need to just keep it fresh keep it interesting and that's what people like nowadays they like those experiences they like spending time with family and friends and just you know, doing food tastings wine tastings craft beers uh so it's kind of uh you know what it's evolved into not just with parks but everywhere yeah i agree uh and also Sometimes you just tap out on it, you know, when you got roller coasters that are 430 something feet tall or whatever King Ka is and Formula Rosa and stuff. And it's like, do you want to go faster? Do you want to go higher? You know, I mean, maybe someday, but right now it's, it's almost like that's a lot of money for a very small demographic. Like I said, I, I, I don't, you know, you get a lot of enthusiasts that say like, you know, enthusiasts make up 0.002% of the population. It's like, yes, America, members of the American Coaster enthusiasts and so on make up that percent of the general population of a park. But obviously, there's a market for giga coasters and stuff, or else parks wouldn't build them. You know, there, it's, it's obviously there. But at the same time, is there a market for a 500-foot coaster that costs $65 million? Like, how are you going to amortize that? Let's talk to the accounting department about that one, you know? So, yeah, you're right. And especially, I mean, maybe even now with like kind of the price of steel's been, I mean, long before the inflation problem we're having, the price of steel's been going up for quite a while. So you're getting less for more money. Maybe that has an influence as well, you know, when you start getting quotes. But I don't think the day and age of the roller coaster, or the large roller coasters, anywhere near dead. I think that it's alive and well, but I think that there's a trend and I think it'll swing in the opposite direction eventually. But I think that's, the two things have really imprinted themselves on each other. For example, you know, uh, Cedar Point spent was twenty five million on Top Throw Dragster in two thousand four, and that was considered a insane amount of money at the time. They're on special events now, but rides like that are kind of their signature stuff: Millennium Force and you know Rougarou and, and so on. But you know, in ten years, if we're back to building large roller coasters, then Part of that budget's going to go to special events, you know. Yeah, and it will. And and you know, yes, today, you know, they they've been going to these parks for years. They like to experience those different times of the year in a different way. You know, that's what the the summer events you know do for you. That's what the fall events do. What the winter events do. It allows you to experience you know your, your favorite parks in a different way, uh, and it brings a different audience as well too. Awesome, cool. Well, some good thoughts on special events. I hope, uh, I, I certainly learned something. So I hope that all of our listeners did as well. So Don, on to the news. Uh, we mentioned this park before. You want me to go first? No, go ahead. Uh, Dollywood. Dollywood. Named America's top theme park by TripAdvisor. Uh, ranked number one in the U.S. and number eight in the world in the 2022 Traveler's Choice Best of the Best Awards. Uh, you know, you've been there. Your thoughts? Uh, well-deserved. Uh, Dollywood does a lot right. Um, part of it's inherent because them being in the mountains and stuff gives it a beautiful setting, but, uh, I really like the personality behind the place. I, one thing I like about Dollywood is that you can go into 10 different gift shops and there's 10 different style of stuff in there. Uh, I feel like a lot of the more, the more corporate parks have the same stuff in every shop, but it's like shopping's an experience there. Uh, their, their rides are all, all fantastic. Their shows are very, very, very good. Uh, well-deserved. What are your thoughts on it? You know, like you said, well-deserved. Uh, you know, they, like I said, they do a lot of things right. Uh, great setting. Um, and when you think about it, you know, it's, they got shows, they got rides, they've got you know, food. There's not that one thing that, uh, you know, 
dominates it, you know, where you're, you're thinking, oh, it's a roller coaster park. Oh, it's this park. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of everything. So, Don, without saying train, what's your favorite ride at Dollywood? <laughs> without saying train, uh, <laughs> I would <laughs> you messed me up. I, I think the um, you know, I'm trying to think here because I like a lot of the, you know, they're all, they're all fun. They're things that I can do together. They're all so unique. It's difficult to decide. Uh, Let me answer this because this might help. I would say that uh, the, my favorite ride there is mystery mine. Uh, I, I I think that's so unique and fun. Uh, Close second would be lightning rod. You know? Yeah. Well, I would go to carousel. Okay. Right by the train down there. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, they got the little bear ride. I think that is so cute, adorable. I love it. I ride it every time I can. Yeah, that ride's cool. I like how they buck back and forth. That's kind of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's like I said, I, I, when you go there, it's just, you know, the, I love, love the shows. You know, I, I make sure I catch the shows when I go uh, there. So I'm not necessarily going there specifically for rides. I'm going there for the overall experience. Yeah, the show, uh, it was funny because I, I didn't realize the shows aren't like 25 minutes long like they are everywhere else. So I had reservations at Aunt Granny. Well, not reservations, but when they were going to text you, and they said it would be about thirty-five minutes. I'm like, oh, this show's about to start right now. So I went into the 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 uh, the drive-in theater near Lightning Rod, and yeah. um, I can't think of what the show is called, but it was like um, based on a, uh, a a drive-in movie theater, and like it's old and decrepit, and then. They go kind of back in time and tell this whole story through song as to what happened to the theater and eventually it shut down and then it comes to present time and they 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 reveal that the two old people at the beginning were actually the people that were met there in the younger years and stuff and he implies that he bought the theater because he takes the clothesline off and throws it. It was like an hour and five minutes long and I was so hungry. That's all I could think about. But <laughs> But I tell you what. What, they brought that back for years, and it's won some... I don't know if it was Golden Ticket, but it was some sort of award, uh, and it's so worth it. The performers there are so good. The shows there are so well done. Um, Dollywood is a great model for, for other parts. I've heard, heard Silver Dollar City might actually beat it out. I've never been there, but I've heard it's very similar to Dollywood, and you know people really, really like that, too. But uh, congratulations to the team over at Dollywood. Um, you know, TripAdvisor, obviously, is a wide array of you know, people. So it's not just enthusiasts and it's not just family. So very well deserved. Uh, but speaking of Dollywood, you know, if you're going to be that successful and win these awards, you're going to have to have somewhere for people to stay. So they finally announced, uh, they announced several about a year ago that they were going to be doing some resort uh, expansions. And they just announced that they're going to do a $500 million expansion. So this is a little bit more detail. Uh, Dolly Parton announced the construction of the Heart Song Lodge and Resort on Thursday. The first project in a half billion dollar investment campaign for by Dollywood Parks and Entertainment for the next decade. Uh, scheduled to open in 2023 in Pigeon Forge, five story, 302 room lodge featuring sprawling indoor outdoor pool complex, 26,000 square foot indoor outdoor event space located right next to Dream More. Don, have you ever stayed at Dream More before? I have. Have you? Uh, very, very nice. Yeah, very, very nice. Uh, but you know that whole area down there is really exploded. Uh, I can remember my first trip there it was 1993, 94 range, and uh, you know you it wasn't the um, destination spot in Pigeon Forge that it is today. Uh, so now, now I mean you can go there and there's so much to see, so much to do. You can't do it all in one. Uh, you know you, it's become that place you stay six, seven you know days and. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what they need there is a resort like this. Yeah, it was funny because when Dolly bought, uh, when she partnered with Hershen Entertainment, uh, her goal was always to just create jobs in that East Tennessee town near Sevierville. And, you know, boy, has she because, you know, Dollywood employs thousands of people and then the resorts probably employ hundreds each. So good job on that. Um, three more, I've never stayed there. I walked through it when it first opened to see it and it's absolutely beautiful. It's got... Did you know about Dolly Parton's legacy song? Have you heard about that? Tell me about so it. So at the Dream War Resort, there's actually a box that's locked up and it's uh, you know, in a display case, and it's got a song that Dolly Parton had written, and she wants it open when she passes away. 
and she wants that song to be her legacy. And that's all we know about it right now. So you can see it on display there somewhere. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, that's really exciting. All right. Well, Ryan, the MC Universal CEO, he's uh, talking about the demand for Universal Parks this summer. Historic. He said they're well above the 2019 pace. Uh, still not getting a lot of international travel. Uh, still not getting a lot of travel from coast to coast due to the, you know, airlines, you know, cost of flying, the gas prices, but still having a, a, a great, uh, great year, great demand there. That's, that's amazing to hear. Um, I was particularly concerned with uh, the Florida parks when it came to coming off COVID, not just Florida, but Southern California, ones that really draw international visitors because, you know, COVID hit different countries in different ways and there were different perspectives on, you know, how cautious you should be about it. Um, I kind of figured that international travel would be kind of soft, but it seems like at least super regional travel kind of made up for it. Uh, at least in the Orlando area, this is uh, your, your article you're reading is from clickorlando.com. Um, but it looks like that demand was, was pretty, uh, pretty inelastic. And, you know, as soon as people were able to go, they went. So good for NBC universal. All right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, other side of the country in Maine, we're going North from, from Orlando. There's a proposed $1 billion patriotic park, which will, this is the one thing we know about it. All right. It'll have a 1,776-foot-tall flagpole. Don, would you drive to Maine to see a 1,776-foot flagpole? Well, I went to Casey, Illinois to see the world's largest wind chime, so yeah. Was that wind chime 1,776 feet tall? Because I was with you, and I remember it being about 200 feet tall. <laughs> It was not, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be up there. So, you know, you got to wonder about uh, the flight patterns and things like that, how that's all going to work there uh, with something being that tall. But, uh, you know, it'll be, you know, it'll be one of those things that, uh, you know, people do travel uh, just to take a look. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Maine is obviously has its own, you know, travel destination for the seafood and things like that. And it's really beautiful in the fall. Um I'm still like, you know, when I put this article down, I thought like, oh, that's tall. But do you think that's as tall as one World Trade Center, the new World Trade Center, which is also 1,007. So in order to not look ridiculous, you're going to have to have an American flag that's approximately one square mile. I'm, I'm calculating off the top of my head, which is incorrect. Just imagine how big the base of this flagpole is going to have to be. Just imagine, like how big a round is it going to, it's going to have to be like, 10 or, I mean, I'm not no engineer, but it's going to be like 10 or 15 feet around because if you get a good wind gust, this flag's just got to pull so hard. And if you look at like the flag in front of your local like shopping mall or whatever, it usually has a slight bend to it just from being pulled in a certain direction over time. Just imagine one that's that tall. Incredible. Yeah, it's definitely going to be the dominant landmark in that area of Maine. Yeah, that's gonna, um, there's gonna be news stories where people try to get them to take it down because they don't get the sun in their neighborhood anymore. <laughs> you know, it's almost like a cartoon worthy thing. All right, moving on. Super Nintendo World. Now planned to be 2023 at Universal Hollywood. Uh, so they kind of narrowed down that time frame for its version of Super Nintendo World. Yeah, that's super exciting. That's coming to Orlando too, but I, my understanding is it's coming to Epic Universe, so it'll be a little while, but um, I grew up with Nintendo, uh, so I, that's super exciting. Um, Universal Studios Hollywood is so far away that it's never entirely been on my bucket list, um, but I guess it, once that opens, that's that's going to put me over the edge of wanting to go out there. I, I think that's really exciting. Uh, Universal has a lot going on uh, as far as they were kind of like Disney Junior for you know all throughout the 90s and so on. And now they're kind of like finding their own footing as far as kind of sitting on the same shelf. Uh, so as far as this property that they're excited about doing and putting a ton of money into it and developing their own technology, it's it's going to be really, really cool. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty cool, uh, especially, you know, if you're Nintendo fans. So, yeah, I, I always like those kind of themed areas like that. They always look good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of... The year-round park, so Shanghai Disneyland uh, reopens after three-month closure due to COVID. This is coming from usnews.com. 
More than a thousand visitors streamed in on Thursday as Walt Disney Company's Shanghai Disney Resort theme park opened after a closure of three months with face masks and social distancing the order of the day. Uh, it felt like us in 2020, didn't it? Yeah, and it does bring back uh, what we saw in 2020. Uh, you know, we're getting hopefully near the end of, uh, you know, seeing these uh, extended closures, uh, the need to have to have face masks, the social distancing, those kind of things. It's getting better, but, uh, you know, clearly we're not out of the woods yet, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, the United States or in other countries. Yeah, I mean, and again, we mentioned before that uh, different countries had different goals and different outlooks on the COVID thing. Um, I couldn't fathom Disney World closing for three months or Disneyland closing for three months uh, because of a COVID outbreak. I think that uh, we're well beyond that at this point. Um, but it's, yeah, glad to see it reopen. Hopefully this is the last time because that costs them a fortune every single day that that park is closed. So. Yeah, and by now, you know, there's a playbook for that where there wasn't in 2020 for anybody. Mm -hmm. So now there's been a playbook developed how you handle it, how you handle reopenings, uh, you know, and gradually get back to normal operation. Yeah. You know, speaking of the embattled Walt Disney Company chief executive Bob Chapek, he got an extension for an additional three years. Uh, thoughts on that? So, um, you know, it seems like a lot of people have different thoughts on Bob Chapek for different reasons. Um, you know, there's a lot of like social justice things as well as uh, there were concerns about the Disney parks themselves by hardcore park goers that have a different perspective on uh, some of the things they're doing. Um, the fact of the matter is, at least from the park standpoint, they're putting up the rights, the right numbers. Uh, if there was an opportunity to get rid of him and they wanted to, they most certainly would. In fact, it, it's rather easy to get rid of a CEO. You could vote him out with the board, but they think he's doing a good job and he's putting up the record numbers. Now, Disney stock has been down along with the rest of the market. Uh, but, um, yeah, JPEG is checking the boxes that the board hired him to do. And he's going to have three more years to accomplish what he set out to accomplish. All right, so Wonder Woman, Flight of Courage. It's got an opening date. This is at Six Flags Magic Mountain. It's going to open July 16th. Uh, that's a single rail Raptor coaster from Rocky Mountain Construction, RMC. Um, the RMC is known for, you know, wooden steel coasters like Magic Mountain's and Twisted Colossus. So this is going to be their second RMC coaster. Uh, it's going to be a little bit longer than Jersey Devil at Six Flags Great Adventure in uh in new jersey uh you've been on many rmc's don been on some rmc's never been on a single rail um looking forward to experiencing that uh, at some point uh, in the procedure uh, but uh, you know i've been uh you know roller coaster enthusiasts who have been on those and um you know they love it uh, you know they, they talk about you know how smooth it is the transitions and things so uh you know looking forward to like i said experiencing that myself. What I like about this, you know, you talk about it's the tallest at 131 feet. Um, you know, for me, I'm more interested in, you know, it's, it's a longer ride, 3,300 feet. Uh, it's going to have, um, you know, speeds up to 58 miles per hour, which is pretty fast, really, when you're going through a lot of different twists and turns on that. Uh, an 87 degree first drop, three inversions. Uh, so, uh, you know, it has a lot of different things, a lot of action to it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I like, more action and and you know the twist and the turns and the uh, the drops than I do you know how tall it is you know that that's irrelevant once you leave that first point there yeah yeah I can the rest of the ride that matters I agree I've also never been on a single rail there really isn't one in our market but there's only a handful of them out there um, you know uh, California's Great America uh, Six Flags Fiesta Texas has one. Um, obviously Jersey Devil and then this one are the four that come to mind. There might be some more. Uh, I've always heard positive things. Uh, I know that when they, the first two opened, there was uh, some comfort issues with the over-the-shoulder restraints, which were that was they were replaced within the first weekend. And now that's been resolved. So I've heard just amazing things about it. Uh, it's got to be a weird sensation to straddle the track like that, though. Well, it does. I mean, we've grown up in the era of the, you know, the wood coasters and, you know, what we've seen with steel, but something like this, uh, for you and I, you know, brand new experience. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, 
Yeah. All right, Ryan. Well, the Golden Tickets, uh, that's going to return after a two-year hiatus by Amusement Today. Six Flags Fiesta, Texas. They're going to host it. Um, it's, you know, for me, I've been to several of the Amusement Today Golden Ticket Awards. Um, and it, it really is like uh, it's the you know, Golden Globe, the Academy Awards of the amusement park industry. Uh, you see all of the, you know, the different, uh, you know, parks represented, the different suppliers are there. Uh, you know, it's just a great event that they've done, you know, and, and to see it come back after two years, and I'm really excited about uh, that for amusement today. Um, you know, and it's great for the industry to see that as well coming back off the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, that's really exciting. It's uh, it's going to be at Fiesta Texas, uh, which we just mentioned, and, um, you know, the GM of that park is our friend Jeffrey Siebert, who's a Kings Island, Americana, Coney Island, Cincinnati Mighty Ducks alum, so we've, we've known him for quite a long time. Uh, and the the article also mentions, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that they are opening uh, a coaster soon, uh, Dr. Diabolical's Cliffhanger. Um, I don't think they have a release date, but they're testing it now, so it's got to be kind of soon. Uh, that's going to be a B&M dive coaster with the first ever Beyond 90 Degree drop. So that's going to be really exciting. But, uh, you know, back to the golden tickets, though. Um, exciting to see it back. Uh, it would be... Difficult to have had the golden tickets during the, you know, when you had the the bush parks didn't open their new attractions and some were delayed and some were canceled and stuff. So this is the first completely normal year. So this will be a really good year to, uh, yeah. to have. And you didn't tickets. have travelers for those two years either. You know, the, the the voters that make their way around to all the parks uh, and cast their vote. So you didn't have that either. So it's, you know, it's great. That's another sign that things are getting back to normal. Uh, when you see this event taken to the end of September. Yeah, that's really exciting. Are you going to go in, uh, to Texas? I will not. Uh, we'll be preparing, you know, here in Cincinnati with uh, different things um, that I'll be working on involved with. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a great event. And, you know, I'm just super excited for amusement today that they're able to, you know, to get back to normal and, and hosting this event. Excited for all the different, uh, you know, parks that will be nominated for different uh, categories you know and excited for the you know the suppliers you know out there that uh, you know parks are now adding new attractions and things again so they're back in business too so it's just a great uh, great thing overall for everybody yeah it really is great news um yeah i mentioned this i think in the last podcast but i think we should do something for golden ticket awards uh we'll definitely have an episode dedicated to it but we do have the ability to go live on youtube so maybe we'll do a live broadcast and have live reactions during it uh, during the actual telecast, so uh, you know anybody watching at home can watch along with us, and we can, you know, we can react to it and maybe tweet at us. But hey, that's it for the news today, Don. We we are getting this in right at an hour. It's not that hour and a half, you know, Harry Potter length episode we did last time. But no, but you and I get you know we get on these things and we just start talking and and get off track and and do that but it's great that we kept it within an hour this time yeah I, I really for the special events thing i had five questions for you i think i asked you 15 because you say something and it sparks another question you know but that's that's a good thing because that's a conversation you know um so yeah. we uh so as a status update don you were the only follower of our twitter uh we're up to 11 now uh two of which are clearly spam uh the rest are real so to the what seven other people that followed us thank you very much that's at attractions underscore grp if you want to tweet us at us and uh, you know any subject matter any questions uh, any show ideas we'd really appreciate it that's at attractions underscore grp so if you want to yeah. follow the podcast just search for the attractions group podcast on youtube uh you may have noticed those of you who have searched it i'm starting to break it up into little snippets so if you don't have like you know over an hour to listen to us ramble on and on, you can listen to us ramble on and on for about seven minutes at a time. Um, so just and ultimately about you, the listener. You know we want to hear uh, you know what you're interested in in terms of topics, uh, you know, questions you have. If you're interested in getting into the industry, how can we help you? What tips can we provide? So follow us on Twitter, ask us questions, and down the road we do want to have a little segment that we we'll, you know we'll read three, four, five different. Uh, different tweets uh from 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 you and uh, uh but to do that you got to follow us yeah at attractions underscore grp yeah if you tweeted us questions we will answer them um i would say uh 
we'll probably once we get to that point maybe get like a actual email address and you can send us questions if you want to and we'll do like a mailbag episode like every once in a while or or whatever that doesn't even have to be a full-length episode we could do you know do a half hour deal that's just mailbag stuff but uh also if you want to follow us on your favorite podcast platforms just search for the attractions group apple spotify google all those you know um so those of you who have followed us uh we're really we're really appreciative of the support that you've given us um we got more downloads of the last episode by far than the previous episode so that means we're heading in the right direction but uh once again Thank you so much. We're going to try to do this weekly, but I, as we discussed, I was out of town, so it was almost two weeks. But we'll be back uh, at some point next week with another topic so we can discuss um, more of the industry insights. Any final thoughts, Don? Uh, nope. Just everybody get out there, visit the parks, and have fun. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for listening to the Attractions Group podcast. I'm Ryan Sir with my co-host, Don Helbig. Have a great day.